0: This is Truth with Grace, the media ministry of Grace Baptist Church. We're so pleased you've joined us today as we continue our exploration of the truth found in God's Word and the grace of salvation. Pastor Pierre Rosa is continuing his preaching through the Gospel of Matthew. We're in chapter 13. The parable of the sower is not a hard story to understand. In fact, it's quite simple. But the truths it reveals are very deep. And just to be sure we get the exact meaning of the parable, Jesus offers his interpretation for us in this portion of Matthew. We'll break the interpretation into two parts. Today, Pastor will unpack the four realities of the kingdom of heaven. And then next week, we'll discover the four responses to the king, both parts of which will reveal some of the royal mystery of God's plan for humanity. My name is Brian Schmidt, and I'll have more information for you at the end of this program. But for now, let's listen to today's message from Pastor Pierre.
1: So last week we talked about the analogy of a royal mystery. This week and next week, we're gonna talk about the discovery of a royal mystery because we're going to discover a divine truth here from the very mouth of Jesus Christ. So follow along with me if you have your Bibles with you. We're going to be in the 13th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, verses 18 through 23. Jesus says this, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom the seed was sown beside the road, The one on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary, and when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away, and the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the word and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And the one on whom seed was sown on a good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Okay, very simple interpretation here of the parable of the sower. Remember, Jesus opened up this next section of discourse here with this simple parable here. Four different types of soils. The very last type of soil sort of breaks the pattern here of what was going on, and Jesus explains it. So this week, what I want to do is, based on this particular passage here, we're going to look at four realities of the kingdom. The first reality of the kingdom in mystery form, I want you to know that the kingdom has announcers. Jesus doesn't identify them. But we know that there are announcers there because somebody is throwing out the seed. Somebody is broadcasting the seed. But again, he does not identify the announcers. But we can deduct that information just by looking at what Matthew has written so far along with other parts of scripture here. We have past, present, and future announcers of the kingdom of heaven. So the first part of the kingdom of heaven in mystery form is that there are past announcers, present announcers, and future announcers of the kingdom of heaven. In other words, these are the folks who will sow the seeds of the kingdom of heaven. People called by God to let other people know that the kingdom of heaven is finally here. John the Baptist and Jesus, that's the first group of announcers, John the Baptist and Jesus. Why do I say that? Because one serves as the forerunner of the other. Remember, John the Baptist came to make way the way for the Lord, a very common practice in ancient times when a forerunner would go before the king and announce to everybody, well, prepare your lives because the king is here. And so therefore, John the Baptist was the first one here to announce the kingdom. The Old Testament prophesied that. In Malachi 3, verse 1, for example, we're told that John would be the one sent to clear the way before the Lord. In Isaiah 40, verse 3, associates him with the voice calling from the desert, making the way of the Lord. Now, John the Baptist himself clarifies the temporary nature of his ministry. When he says, he must increase, but I must decrease. John 3, verse 30. By the way, that's a very good philosophy of ministry, don't you think? He must increase, and I must decrease. Now, the prophetic ministry of announcing the king and the kingdom led to his arrest. Of course, you know the story. And eventually, to his martyrdom, he had his head cut off and served on a platter. But as soon as John was incarcerated, Jesus started to announce the kingdom. Matthew tells us this in chapter 4, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach. In other words, after John was done, Jesus took over the preaching or the announcing of the kingdom of heaven. So that's the first group of announcers of the kingdom of heaven. The second group I want you to know, the first generation of disciples, that was the second group of announcers commissioned with the task of announcing the kingdom, of sowing those seeds. Now, Jesus recruited That first generation of disciples, there were the 12 who were called apostles, the Bible says, and then there was a second sending of now 70 disciples. But remember, he sent them to Israel first, but the nation rejected the message. And by the end of the gospel of Matthew, Christ commissioned the disciples not only to go to Israel only, but to go to all of the nations. He says, go to all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And that's in Matthew 28. But right before his ascension, he reminded the disciples to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Again, why church? Because Israel has rejected the Messiah, and then the end of the gospel, after the resurrection of Christ, right before his ascension, he said, now go to all the nations and perpetuate the process. In church, the only reason... We are here today gathered, and the only reason we are a church now is because the first generation of disciples was faithful to that command, the second generation was faithful to the command, the third generation, the fourth, the fifth, so forth, all the way down through history to you and me. And therefore, obviously, what do we understand our role to be? Well, meet the third group of announcers of the kingdom of heaven. taking the good news to the whole world, would have been an impossible task for that group of disciples. It would have been impossible for them to go to every people group, every nation. That's what Jesus means when he gave them the commission. says, go to all the nations, meaning go to every people group. Well, they didn't even speak all the languages. The obvious assumption is that, well, we're going to make disciples who will then make other disciples, who will then make other disciples, and so forth, and perpetuate the process. Therefore, church, the third group of announcers of the kingdom of heaven is you and me. We are tasked with that commission today. Jesus recruited believers to be a part of his program. He has commissioned every Christian collectively to make disciples of every nation, every ethnicity, every people group. Now, that doesn't mean that you personally are responsible for reaching every nation of the world. That would be an impossible task. What he has in mind is every church, every group of believers, every community of redeemed has the responsibility of reaching other nations for Christ, meaning other ethnicity, other groups. In other words, we are responsible for doing cross-cultural evangelism, cross-cultural missions. That is a vital part of the church. Why? Because we are the third group of announcers of the kingdom of heaven. Again, something not fully understood in the Old Testament but now fully revealed in the New Testament. We are, church, a quote-unquote religion of proselytizers. That's how the world refers to us. We are a system of belief that exists with the purpose of glorifying God by making other disciples of Christ. Otherwise, the Christian experiment would have been a very short experience and would have died after the first century. So consider this, my friends, if you are not inviting sinners to come to Christ if you are not broadcasting the seeds of the word of the kingdom. You are not serving Him at full potential. And consider this too. Like John the Baptist, we will not be able to do this forever. One day, the church will be raptured out of here and then God will dispatch the fourth group of announcers of the kingdom of heaven. Meet the tribulation saints. They're described in the book of Revelation for us here, and they will sow seeds of the kingdom during the tribulation of the end times. Specifically, there will be 144,000 Jewish evangelists. Why? Because these will be the folks who understood, man, we missed the Messiah the first time, and now we've been left behind. It is now our opportunity to go and sow the seeds of the kingdom. So, At least 144,000 of them. Those are not going to be the only ones, but there will be 12,000 from each of the tribes. Now, if you want more information on that, let me refer you to the book that we produced called Unveiling God's Plan for Humanity. It's our preaching series on the book of Revelation. There, And use it as a reference book. But the bottom line is we met the past, the present, and the future announcers of the kingdom. But now today, God wants you, my friends, to be an active member of the kingdom in mystery form. God called you to be active for him not to sit soak and sour not to sit and do nothing but to be an active member of the kingdom of heaven you get to cast the seeds of the gospel today the highest honor imaginable now let me talk to you about the second reality of the kingdom in mystery form the announcement still in verse 19 because it's a simple logic if there are announcers well what are they going to announce what is the message? Well, Matthew calls it the word of the kingdom. Look at verse 19 again. And and let me tell you what that word was. John the Baptist again, the very first announcer of the kingdom and mystery form, says this. Matthew 3, verse 2. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was like a summary of the message. But when the forerunner concluded his ministry, like we said before, he was beheaded, Jesus preached the exact same message. Listen to Matthew 4, verse 17. Jesus says, Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Matthew made sure that he quoted Jesus Christ. Again, probably a summary of the message, but it's not a coincidence that those two announcers spoke the very same message, word for word. You can't miss the message. It's repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Church, you see, it's not be happy. There's nothing like that in the word of the kingdom. Although, when you become a born-again believer in Christ, you enter a state of blessedness, according to the Beatitudes, that describes happiness beyond your ability to really comprehend. But it's not health and wealth. It's not, oh, God wants to make you fulfilled. There's none of that. The message is repent. In other words, humble yourself. Repent before God because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was the message that Christ preached. He equipped the disciples with power to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, and so forth, and cast out demons. And Jesus instructed them, Matthew 10, verse 7. As you go, preach, saying, guess what, church? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. (laughs) The exact same sentence. Do you see the pattern? So what is the seed? What is the word of the kingdom? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Christ, therefore, expects his modern-day disciples to preach the same message. You say, Pastor, that's a very short sermon. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Sure, you can elaborate. Luke 24, verses 45 through 47. Thus, it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Church, what is the element present in all of those messages here that you notice? Write down that word, repentance. Repentance. What that means is we tell people to change their mind. That's what repentance means. They change their mind concerning who Jesus is, concerning their ability to make it to the kingdom of heaven. And importantly, too, is they change their mind concerning their sin. They turn from their sin and they turn to the Savior. That is what repentance is, and unless we're including that in the message that we're proclaiming, we're falling short. So we tell people to repent and come to Jesus Christ because He is the King of kings who will one day come and reign supreme from the earth. We met the announcers. We've learned the announcement. But listen to, again, verse 19, there is an antagonist. Jesus talks about that. So The third reality of the message of the kingdom in mystery form here is the antagonist. And I want you to know that the antagonist has a mission and a methodology. So we're going to talk about those. Well, first of all, who is the antagonist? Jesus identifies him by his title, the evil one, Satan. One of his favorite activities is to snatch the word of the kingdom that has been sown in people's hearts. That is what Jesus says. God allows in his redemptive plan, in his infinite wisdom, and in his infinite sovereignty, God allows Satan to do that, to snatch away the word of the kingdom that has been sown in people's hearts. One of the reasons he does that is because of what's been revealed to us in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 13 through 14. I will ascend to heaven... Scripture is quoting the devil here. I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. And I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Church, that is the reason why Satan snatches away the word of the kingdom that has been planted in people's hearts. It's because he wants to be like God. He wants to be like the Most High. He wants to build his own kingdom that's his mission. But let me talk about his methodology. Again, scripture is very clear about that. He snatches away the word of the kingdom that has been uh, sown in people's hearts by blinding the minds of unbelievers. That's in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4. He blinds the minds of unbelievers. Again, all happening under divine control, under divine supervision and permission. That's his permissive will that Satan will blind the minds of unbelievers so that they will not understand the message of the kingdom. Why? Because according to John 8, verse 44, he is a liar and a murderer from the beginning. He entices the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. First John 2, verse 16. Every time you commit a sin, my friends, you touch on one of those three. It's either the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. Every sin you've ever committed. And here's something else he does, and I want you to write this down. He slanders And assaults the character of believers in an attempt to discredit the message. So while you are sowing the seeds of the gospel, preaching the word faithfully, the devil is behind you slandering your character, using people to slander your character. Why do I say this? Because the word diabolos, devil, diabolos means exactly a slanderer. Someone who slanders the character of someone else. So consider this, church. Every time you hear a gossip about someone's character, every time somebody comes to you and assaults the character of a brother or a sister in Christ, that person is working for the devil. You need to tell that person, I do not want to hear. Stop mid-sentence. I do not want to hear. You slander the character of my brother in Christ because that's what the devil does. And you are no longer the son of the devil. So, Satan has been extremely successful in our corner of the world. We don't think of Western society as primitive, where folks bow down to wooden images or images of stone. We're more sophisticated than that. We burn incense to our own accomplishments. And we burn incense to our own desires. In fact, we will kill for our desires. Oh, we will never plunge the knife. We will never pull the trigger. But we will murder somebody in our hearts because of our desire to fulfill our pride. So we offer our devotion not to idols of wood or stone, but to self-fulfillment. I love myself way too much than I should. Same is true for you. Because you will defend yourself at any cost, even at the expense of slandering the character of a brother in Christ. But I want you to know, my friends, that this is the work of the devil. Now, for worshipers who gather at the altar of human achievement, that's the religion of the Western society here. There is nothing attractive about the message of the kingdom, a message that promotes self-denial, self-sacrifice, and it states very clearly that man is not able to earn his own salvation. Now, unbelievers are completely unaware of the schemes of the devil. Unbelievers have no idea how to put on the armor of God. Ephesians 6, verse 1. Again, because to them, that's a foolish illustration. As a result, they can't see the proverbial birds swooping down to snatch the seed. And here's one more activity of the devil. According to Revelations 12, verse 10, the devil accuses the brethren. Day and night, the Bible says. So again, my friends, every time you are accusing someone... Every time you hear someone else second-guess the motive of another believer, they are doing the work of the devil because the one who accuses the brethren day and night is who, church? The devil. So I want you to imagine the following scene. Satan approaches the divine throne, and the scripture is very clear that the devil does have access to God. Read the book of Job. Satan approaches the divine throne and says this. you got to be kidding, God. You have Pierre over there in Salem, preaching the word and shepherding your people. Can you think of anyone more pathetic to do that? Anyone more incompetent? The guy comes from a broken home. What can he say about family and life and godly marriage? His father was on my team. He was an atheist. Or he may say something like this about you. Really? You're going to use him? The former drug addict? The adulterer? To sow gospel seed? Really, God? You're going to use her, the former fornicator? Remember, she had an abortion. Remember, she has a divorce. They both used to serve me very effectively, I might add. What a pathetic team you have, God. But then I want you to imagine God bringing Christ to the courtroom in heaven and says this. Well, let's hear from my son, the righteous one, their advocate, in whom I am well pleased. And then into the heavenly court walks Jesus and says this. They are the elect of God, according to Romans 8, 33. The blessed of my Father, according to Matthew 5, verses 3 through 11. The people for my own possession, according to Titus 2, verse 14. Living stones built up for a holy priesthood, according to 1 Peter 2, 5. And the sheep of my Father's pasture, Psalm 75, 79, verse 13, rather. He continues, my father gave them to me. John chapter 10 verse 29. I will never leave them orphans. John 14 verse 18. No one will snatch them out of my hand. John 10 verse 28. Nothing will ever separate them from my love. Romans 8 verse 35. And he continues, they are more than conquerors. According to Romans 8 verse 37. They follow me and I will make them fishers of men. Chapter 4, verse 19, and I am coming quickly and I'm ready to reward them for their faithfulness. Revelation 22, verse 12. So church, you have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, the Bible says. The fact that the message is announced by redeemed sinners makes divine grace even more amazing. Because according to the Bible, Second Corinthians 4, verse 7, we have this treasure in earthen Vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. Church, the antagonist has no case against you. Jesus already settled that problem. The accuser of the brethren may want to destroy you, he may want to discourage you so as to discredit the message, but our advocate and mediator has already won the case. Read the book. Until the end, we win. We win. The Father has justified you. You are free to continue to do the work you've been called to do, to sow seeds of the kingdom. Do not let anything stop that. We'll finish with the fourth reality of the kingdom here. In mystery form, we met the announcer. We talked about the announcement. We met the antagonist. But now, the audience. Some of the disciples had a hard time accepting that Jesus also invited Gentiles to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. And we have a very clear demonstration of that in Acts 1 verse 6. When Luke tells us that the disciples gathered around Christ right before his ascension to heaven, they said this, Lord, is it at this time you're going to establish the kingdom or you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? In other words, you've died and rose again. Now, is it at this time that we're going to finally reign and rule with you? Are you restoring the kingdom of Israel now? And Jesus told them, not for you to know. You will be my witnesses. You will wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. And even though Christ revealed the mysteries of the kingdom to them, and obviously to us, he has not disclosed how long it will be until his return. The world is our audience, because Jesus told them, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. The world is the audience. The world is the field on which the proverbial seed of the word of the kingdom needs to land. Now, people respond differently to the announcement, of course. But every person must hear. Every person must hear that heaven is a free gift from God. As we speak now, faithful sowers around the world, some of whom are sent by our church, are sowing the seeds. And furthermore, anyone can open the Bible. Anyone that has a Bible in their language can open the Bible and read the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven and be saved. Anyone can know that Jesus loves them, that God loved the world so much that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. So casting seeds of the gospel, church, may be hard, but it's a very simple process. It's really not hard to understand. Not rocket science. You don't need a theology degree to lead people to Christ. So don't come up with that excuse and say, well, we paid the pastor to do it. God has called you and me to do it together, to sow the seeds of the kingdom. Yes, it takes a little bit of courage. But let me tell you, it takes more compassion and commitment than courage, really. All you need to do is get to the field. And the field might be your neighbor next door. Just like the sower needs to grab his bag and get to the field, rain or shine, Flocks of birds hovering above or not, you just need to get to the field. Consider this the Lord of the harvest does not recruit clever, larger than life, famous sowers. He's interested in faithful sowers. Are you faithful? That's the question. Are you faithful? Because if you're not, today is the day to say, Lord, make me faithful. Because I know that this is your will. I know that this is what you want me to do. That doesn't mean, again, that you will single-handedly win a whole country for Christ. That's not the plan. The plan is for you to start with your unsaved friends, your unsaved family members, and perhaps co-workers. We must cast seeds until he calls us home.
0: If you have questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is radio at gbcsalem.org. Or you can visit our website, truthwithgrace.org, for more information about our church and this media ministry. Plus, we're always looking for people just like you to join us in spreading the gospel around the world. This broadcast is provided to you at no cost to the generosity of financial and prayer supporters of Truth With Grace. Please feel free to share it, but please don't charge money for it or edit it in any way without the written consent of Grace Baptist Church. Until next time... This is Truth with Grace.